Chapter Thirty Nine of *The Girl in the Golden Atom* by Ray Cummings. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A modern dinosaur. The very young man never knew quite how it happened. The doctor had told them to check their growth, and he took the drug abstractedly, for his mind was on Aura and how she would feel coming for the first time into this great outer world. What quantity he took, the very young man afterward could never decide. But the next thing he knew, the figures of his companions had grown to gigantic size. The rocks about him were expanding enormously. Already he had lost the contour of the ledge. The canyon wall had drawn back almost out of sight in the haze of the distance. He turned around, bewildered. There was no precipice behind him. Instead, a great rocky plain tumbling with a mass of boulders and broken by seams and rifts spread out to his gaze. And even in that instant, as he regarded it in confusion, it opened up to greater distances. Near at hand, a hundred yards away perhaps, a gigantic human figure towered five hundred feet into the air. Around it, Further away, others equally large were blurred into the haze of distance. The nearer figure stooped, and the very young man, fearful that he might be crushed by its movement, waved his arms in terror. He started to run, leaping over the jagged ground beneath his feet. A great roaring voice from above came down to him, the doctor's voice. "'Don't get smaller!' The very young man stopped running, more frightened than ever before, with the realization that came to him. He shouted upward, "'I can't stop. I haven't any of the other drug.' An enormous, blurred object came swooping towards him and went past with a rush of wind, the foot of the big businessman, though the very young man did not know it. Above him now the air was filled with roaring the excited voices of his friends. A few moments passed while the very young man stood stock still, too frightened to move. The roaring above gradually ceased. The towering figures expanded, faded back into the distance, disappeared. The very young man was alone in the silence and desolation of a jagged, broken landscape that was still expanding beneath him. For some time he stood there, bewildered. He came to himself suddenly with the thought that although he was too small to be seen by his friends, yet they must be there still within a few steps of him. They might take a step, might crush him to death without seeing him, or knowing that they had done it. There were rocky buttes and hills all about him now. Without stopping the reason what he was doing, he began to run. He did not know or care where, anywhere, away from those colossal figures who, with a single step, would crush the very hills and rocks about him and bury him beneath an avalanche of golden quartz. He ran in panic for an hour, perhaps, scrambling over little ravines, falling into a crevice, climbing out and running again. At last, with his feet torn and bleeding, he threw himself to the ground, utterly exhausted. After a time, with returning strength, 
the very young man began to think more calmly. He was lost, lost in size, the one thing that the doctor, when they started down into the ring, had warned them against so earnestly. What a fool he had been to run. He was miles away from them now. He could not make himself larger, and were they to get smaller, small enough to see him, they might wander in this barren wilderness for days and never chance to come upon him. The very young man cursed himself for a fool. Why hadn't he kept some of the enlarging drug with him? And then abruptly he realized something additionally terrifying. The dose of the diminishing drug, which he had just taken so thoughtlessly, was the last that remained in that vial. He was utterly helpless. Thousands of miles of rocky country surrounded him, a wilderness devoid of vegetation, of water, and of life. Lying prone upon the ground, which at last had stopped expanding, the very young man gave himself up to terrified reflection. So this was the end. All the dangers they had passed through, their conquests, and the journey out of the ring so near to a safe ending. And then this. For a time, the very young man abandoned hope. There was nothing to do, of course. They could never find him, probably. With women and a child among them, they would not dare even to try. They would go safely back to their own world, but he, Jack Bruce, would remain in the ring. He laughed with bitter cynicism at the thought. Even the habitable world of the ring itself was denied him. Like a lost soul, poised between two worlds, he was abandoned, waiting helpless until hunger and thirst would put an end to his sufferings. Then the very young man thought of Aura, and with the thought came a new determination not to give up hope. He stood up and looked about him, steeling himself against the flood of despair that again was almost overwhelming. He must return as nearly as possible to the point where he had parted from his friends. It was the only chance he had remaining, to be close enough so if one or all of them had become small, they would be able to see him. There was little to choose of direction in the desolate waste around, but dimly the very young man recalled having a low line of hills behind him when he was running. He faced that way now. He had come perhaps six or seven miles. He would return now as nearly as possible over the same route. He selected a gully that seemed to wind in that general direction, and climbing down into it, started off along its floor. The gully was some forty feet deep, and seemed to average considerably wider. Its sides were smooth and precipitous in some places, in others they were broken. The very young man had been walking some thirty minutes when, as he came abruptly around a sharp bend, he saw before him the most terrifying object he had ever beheld. He stood stock still, fascinated with horror. On the floor of the gully, directly in front of him, lay a gigantic lizard, a reptile, hideous, grotesque in its enormity. It was lying motionless, with its jaw, longer than his own body, flat on the ground, as though it were sunning itself. 
Its tail, motionless also, wound out behind it. It was a reptile that, by its size, it seemed to the very young man at least thirty feet long, might have been a dinosaur reincarnated out of the dark, mysterious ages of the Earth's formation. And yet, even in that moment of horror, the very young man recognized it for what it was, the tiny lizard the chemist had sent into the valley of the Scratch to test his drug. At the sight of the very young man, the reptile raised its great head. Its tongue licked out hideously. Its huge eyes stared unblinking. And then, slowly, hastlessly, it began coming forward, its great feet scratching on the rocks, its tail sliding around a boulder behind it. The very young man waited no longer, but turning, ran back headlong the way he had come. Curiously enough, this new danger, though it terrified, did not confuse him. It was a situation demanding physical action, and with it he found his mind working clearly. He leaped over a rock, half stumbled, recovered himself, and dashed onward. A glance over his shoulder showed him the reptile coming around the bend in the gully. It slid forward, crawling over the rocks without effort, still hastlessly, as though leisurely to pick up this prey which it knew could not escape it. The gully here chanced to have smooth, almost perpendicular sides. The very young man saw that he could not climb out, and even if he could, he knew that the reptile would go up the sides as easily as along the floor. It had been over a hundred feet from him, when he first saw it. Now it was less than half that distance, and gaining rapidly. For an instant the very young man slackened his flight. To run on would be futile. The reptile would overtake him any moment. Even now he knew that with a sudden spring it could land upon him. A cross rift at right angles in the wall came into sight. A break in the rocks, as though it had been riven apart, by some gigantic wedge. It was as deep as the gully itself, and just wide enough to admit the passage of the very young man's body. He darted into it, and heard behind him the spring of the reptile as it landed at the entrance to the rift into which its huge size barred it from advancing. The very young man stopped, panting for breath. He could just turn about between the enclosing walls. Behind him, outside in the gully, the lizard lay baffled, and then, seemingly without further interest, it moved away. The very young man rested. The danger was past. He could get out of the rift, doubtless further ahead, without re-entering the gully, and, if he kept well away from the reptile, probably it would not bother him. Exaltation filled the very young man, and then again, he remembered his situation, lost in size, helpless, without the power to rejoin his friends. He had escaped death in one form, only to confront it again in another, worse perhaps, since it was the more lingering. Ahead of him the rift seemed ascending and opening up. He followed it, and in a few hundred yards was again on the broken plateau above, level now with the top of the gully. The winding gully itself, 
the very young man could see plainly. Its nearest point to him was some six hundred feet away, and in its bottom he knew that hideous reptile lurked. He shuddered and turned away, instinctively walking quietly, fearing to make some noise that might again attract its attention to him. And then came a sound that drove the blood from his face and turned him cold all over. From the depths of the gully, in another of its bends nearby, the sound of an anxious girl's voice floated upwards. "'Jack! Oh, Jack!' And again, "'Jack! My friend, Jack!' It was Aura, his own size, perhaps, in the gully, searching for him. With frantic, horrified haste, the very young man ran towards the top of the gully. He shouted warningly as he ran. Aura must have heard him, for her voice changed from anxiety to a glad cry of relief. He reached the top of the gully, at its bottom, forty feet below, down its precipitous side, stood Aura, looking up, radiant, to greet him. "'I took the drug,' she cried. "'I took it before they could forbid me. They are waiting up there for us. There is no danger now, Jack.' The very young man tried to silence her. A noise down the gully made him turn. The gigantic reptile appeared round the nearby bend. It saw the girl and scuttled forward, rattling the loose boulders beneath its feet as it came. Aura saw it the same instant. She looked up helplessly to the very young man above her. Then she turned and ran down the gully. The very young man stood transfixed. It was a sheer drop of forty feet or more to the gully floor beneath him. There was seemingly nothing he could do in those few terrible seconds. And yet, with subconscious, instinctive reasoning, he did the one and only thing possible— a loose mass of jagged gold quartz hung over the gully wall. Frantically he tore at it, pried loose with feet and hands a boulder that hung poised. As the lizard approached, the loosened rock slid forward and dropped squarely onto the reptile's broad back. It was a boulder nearly as large as the very young man himself, but the gigantic reptile shook it off, writhing and twisting for an instant and hurling the smaller loose rocks about the floor of the gully with its struggles. The very young man cast about for another missile, but there were none at hand. Aura, at the confusion, had stopped about two hundred feet away. "'Run!' shouted the very young man. "'Hide somewhere! Run!' The lizard, momentarily stunned, recovered swiftly. Again it started forward, seemingly now as alert as before, and then, without warning, in the air above his head, the very young man heard the rush of gigantic wings. A tremendous gray body swooped past him and into the gully, a bird larger in proportion than the lizard itself. It was the little sparrow the chemist had sent in from the outside world, maddened now by thirst and hunger, which to the reptile had been much more endurable. The very young man, shouting again to Aura to run, stood awestruck, watching the titanic struggle that was raging below him. The great lizard rose high on its forelegs to meet this enemy. Its tremendous jaws opened and snapped closed, but the bird 
avoided them. Its huge claws gripped the reptile's back. Its flapping wings spread the sixty-foot width of the gully as it strove to raise its prey into the air. The roaring of these enormous wings was deafening. The wind from them, as they came up, tore past the very young man in violent gusts, and, as they went down, the suction of air almost swept him over the brink of the precipice. He flung himself prone, clinging desperately to hold his position. The lizard thrashed and squirmed. A swish of its enormous tail struck the gully wall and brought down an avalanche of loose golden rock. But the giant bird held its grip. Its bill, so large that the very young man's body could easily have lain within it, pecked ferociously at the lizard's head. It was a struggle to the death, an unequal struggle, though it raged for many minutes with an uncanny fury. At last, dragging its adversary to where the gully was wider, the bird flapped its wings with freedom of movement and laboriously rose into the air. A moment later, the very young man, looking upward, saw through the magic, diminishing glass of distance a little sparrow of his own world with a tiny, helpless lizard struggling in its grasp. Aura, don't cry. Aura, gosh. I don't want you to cry. Everything's all right now. The very young man sat awkwardly beside the frightened girl, who, overcome by the strain of what she had been through, was crying silently. It was strange to see Aura crying. She had always been such a Spartan, so different from any other girl he had ever known. It confused him. Don't cry, Aura, he repeated. He tried clumsily to soothe her. He wanted to thank her for what she had done in risking her life to find him. He wanted to tell her a thousand tender things that sprang into his heart as he sat there beside her. But when she raised her tear-stained face and smiled at him bravely, all he said was, "'Gosh, that was some fight, wasn't it? It was great of you to come down after me, Aura. Are they waiting for us up there?' And then, when she nodded, We'd better hurry, Aura. How can we ever find them? We must have come miles from where they are. She smiled at him quizzically through her tears. You forget, Jack, how small we are. They are waiting on the little ledge for us. And all this country? She spread her arms toward the vast wilderness that surrounded them. This is all only a very small part of that same ledge on which they are standing. It was true, and the very young man realized it at once. Aura had both drugs with her. They took the one to increase their size, and without mishap or moving from where they were, rejoined those on the little ledge who were so anxiously awaiting them. For half an hour the very young man recounted his adventure, with praises of Aura that made the girl run to her sister to hide her confusion. Then once more the party started its short climb out of the Valley of the Scratch. In ten minutes they were all safely on the top, on the surface of the ring at last. End of chapter 39